You are listening to Within Tolerance, a podcast for machinist by a machinist. I'm your host, Dylan Jackson of Proteum Machining, and this week I am happy to welcome my book club co-host, Chris Zappatini, back again. How's it going, man? Yeah, living the dream, per <laughs> usual. Well, why don't we do a quick update from the last time we spoke? We were both kind of in the weeds, having a depressing and rough beginning to the year. How are you doing? How's everything? How's business? Any more employee things? What's going on, man? Yeah. I mean, generally, I would say I'm kind of wrangled, wrangled my issues or so. Like, like I had a, a really intense conversation with one of my biggest customers right now about like payment and stuff because things were just wonky. Um, and now, like, well, like the relationship was kind of fractured, but it was like both of us wanted the other to work with. Like, we wanted, we still want to work together, but it was just weird and tense and then we just kind of had like a a little bit of like a knockout drag out conversation but and now we're back on pace um which is good i might i might be losing another guy i don't know like like for realsies we'll see uh he's on a break you know i think i think i had mentioned that before on the last one is that he he was working at the time now he's on his break um he might not want to travel anymore which is interesting for us yeah, kind <laughs> uh, of the nature of the job yeah so we kind of got to figure that out but it's not super pressing right now but it might be because like i had a bunch of really good calls and like meetings this week about like full build automation systems which i'm like really revved up for uh so like i and and i like finally like sat down and just like went through my finances and we're up, we're up like almost double where we were for Q1 that we were last year, which is awesome. Um, and then found like, I have like my debt will be paid off in like three and a half months or whatever, like exactly, which is a good feeling. It's nice to know that then, I mean, it pretty much means that I'm going to be working seven days a week, probably like 15, 16 hour days. <laughs> For three and a half months but hey you know like hey. i'm like I, i'm on site at a customer in gunnison utah right now with uh but <laughs> this is i mean shout out to pallet systems <laughs> right i did four setups today now i have uh two hours of runtime where i don't i like i'm here i'm monitoring but uh machines are running everybody's happy that's killer so yeah if, yeah. if all of a sudden chris has to run it's because something happened with the machine. Let's hope not. <laughs> yeah. Oh, well, that's awesome, man. I'm really happy to hear. See the green lights back there. So yeah, fun. yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh, that's great. I feel like we both kind of had a, a turnaround from the last time we spoke. You know, a lot of like Dude. doom and gloom last time. And I'm in the same boat. Yeah. Like we, we really killed it the last, I don't know, month or something. Just getting orders out. Like we shipped three orders early this week, which was... Ooh. I know. Yeah. Very different. <laughs> it's like, oh man, like I was right up to the, the edge on so many. And then, yeah, you know, Friday we had one, I had one that wasn't due till like the 12th of this month. And I was like, oh, it's easy. I'll just bust it out and knocked it out, chipped it, packed it, you know, all that stuff. It's like, cool. All right. Sick. Yeah. yeah. So it's, it's, and, it's been good. And you had like, you showed me like one of the best emails ever. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, I had a customer reach out with an unsolicited thank you. And just like, just out of nowhere, just like, hey, thanks for great parts and being a great partner. It was like, cool. Yeah. That's amazing. Like, like, I think I texted you when you showed me that. I was like, this is, I'm so used to this being like the most thankless job I've ever had where it's like people, it's never 
you did a fantastic job. It's always, why are you fucking this up right now? Right. Yeah, uh, exactly. No news is good you. news. Usually like, <laughs> yeah. you know, no email of, from parts is usually what I hope for, but yeah, getting yeah. that. And, and, you know, it was like completely just out of the blue. Like it was on Friday, we were doing a chip run and I was like, all of a sudden I get that email and I was like, Oh, cool. That just made my day. That, that yeah. just made my week. Like I was like, Oh, this is great. Yeah. Fuck. Yeah. Cool. Sick. Well, that's great, man. Let's get into the book then extreme ownership what do you think this is your first time reading it oh yeah so oh i should probably get us a, a little something out of the way that like we started reading this at the end of december um early yeah. january and i believe uh, people can quote me as saying next week we will record this <laughs> yeah, yeah but like it also like ended up being like weird i mean i went to london and stuff i had i had all the junk with me in case but like i think we were we were both just like busy but at the beginning of january like like i had that wild thing happen where like somebody that i know shot somebody a bunch of times and it really like really put me in a weird mindset with this book in particular because it's like very based around war and like he was a veteran who suffers from ptsd and everything and so it's like it kind of it kind of skewed it. I had to read it twice because the first time I was like, this is like fucking copaganda almost. Right. Uh, like very mass. He's like, it's not a war memoir, but it's like 75% a war memoir yeah, exactly. and like 25% yeah. like, oh, how this affects business. Like they, they had problems and I told them not to have problems and they're like, oh, sick. <laughs> uh, but <laughs> I read it. I read it again like this week and I, and I was able to take more away from it, which was better. But I, the thing that struck me the most was the um I liked it. The discipline section at the very, very end was the one that got me. Cause that's like that's the one that I've been struggling with since I've been like burned out for six months or whatever. Yeah, I, I can definitely I feel that too. And I think that that's a prelude to their next book, which I still haven't read actually. The dichotomy of leadership is the the next book in the series. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, this is the third time I think I've gone through the book. I just finished it up today, this morning. Well, and did you get it, anything new out of it? Yeah, I think it's like a good reminder. Like like you said, you know, a lot of it is just war stories and fluff stuff. But I think that kind of makes it, if you're not a business book person, it kind of makes mm-hmm. it an easy access into the the lessons of the thing. Yes. But uh, yeah, I think that like, uh, I mean, we, we kind of talked on and off air, like I... You know, Brad and I both have to be leaders, and I was realizing I was being kind of a shitty leader and just mm-hmm. getting really weighed down with all of the the muck that was going on. And so it was just kind of a reminder of like, hey, this affects things like this. This will change the course of your business, you know, being a good mm-hmm. leader, regardless if you're not leading anybody or, you know, not, not leading a subordinate. But like being a good leader is is just for yourself. Like it's going back to that discipline. Yeah. So to run down the chapters, first one, they introduce extreme ownership. Uh, second one, no bad teams, only bad leaders. You know, again, extreme ownership as a leader, you got to look back on yourself and just be like, I'm I'm not doing something that is leading these people to do what I don't like. Three is believe, which, you know, a lot of these, I think, are the same concept or very near concepts repeated. Like believe is also leading up and down the chain is also, you know, they're like, they all kind of tie into each other, but believe is just making everyone in, involved in the team believe the mission. 
you know, and, mm-hmm. and flowing down why the mission is happening. Like why, why we're doing something a certain way rather than just saying, just do it. Cause I told you to Yeah. Uh, check the ego. I think that one's pretty obvious cover and move. I think is a pretty good one. You know, you don't want to over leverage yourself in any, you know, monetarily or any kind of way. Like I think that that's something. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. As, as small business owners, I think that we all have a really hard time towing that line of like, I, I need I Jay, to oh, go for it. You know, I was going to say, I think Jay Pearson said it really, really well. The last time, like the most recent time he was on the podcast, which is, it's like, if you're driving on the freeway, if you drive too fast, like statistically, you're more likely to hit somebody. And if you drive too slow, like you're more likely to get hit. And so like that balance is as like, I think about that all the fucking time now, especially as someone who like I grew way too fast and now I'm but, scaling back. Right. But know? it's hard to know. It's one of those things that, you know, I didn't know I was doing 10 over the speed limit until I look back on it. And I'm like, <laughs> oh, I was flying past all the other cars for some reason. Yeah. You know, it's not something there's no speedometer for small businesses. It's like as easy as looking down at the gauges. You're just like, I think I'm doing the right thing for what's going on. And then it's only in retrospect that you're like, oh, no, I I should have slowed down a little bit. Uh, Simple. Again, another pretty self-explanatory one. You got to keep your plan simple. Overcomplicating things really will bite you in the ass every single time. Yeah. Prioritize and execute. Another great one. I think that when shit hits the fan, that's something that I've continually had to work on is not just like trying to put out 10 fires at once, but like making sure each one is put out as I go through them. Like not not yeah. trying to like, you know, spray all corners of my room with the fire extinguisher at the same time, but really just like working through it is tough. Decentralized command, just basically making sure that everybody that works with you has the power and the wherewithal to lead as well. You, mm-hmm. you can't you can't be everywhere at once. You can't lead everyone at once. Um, the plan one I thought was the weakest chapter, personally. Like I felt like they they're like, oh yeah, you need to have this standardized planning method, and they go into it, and then their example, their their seal example, basically was them saying, oh no, we we went away from our our standard planning was, one at, and this is the way we did it it got really weird towards the end <laughs> for sure where it's like i'm not sure what's happening here yeah um yeah cuz the business example was a seal example like it was him talking yeah. to a business leader and then telling a seal story and i was like this is a little yeah. little hat on a hat for me but <laughs> yeah yeah 10 is another one that i think is super important and is something that I see many leaders falling into issues with leading up and down the chain, mm-hmm. like not flowing down things to their subordinates so that I feel like it goes hand in hand with belief, like mm-hmm. leading down the chain, at least. Yeah. I think that I see a lot of people just say, just do it because I said so. And like, it's frustration because they just don't want so many questions. But I think that that whole idea of a commander's intent is something that like we all need to work on, like yes. you know, making everybody under us realize the goal and the bounds that they're able to work in mm-hmm. which is like it's just like core tenets of just change management in general uh which is like there's like, there's like a couple of concepts outside of just like having accountability and candor in this book which is like kind of how they it's it's advertised as like it's just extreme ownership like whose fault is this and like it's my fault everybody's fault whatever whatever then it gets into things like like hardcore change management, like extreme change management, 
Like, okay. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Decisiveness amid uncertainty, I think, is basically the same thing as prioritize and execute. Like, Mm -hmm. maybe a little bit. Like, I thought the business example was a good one. And I think that that's another one that I have seen personally affect companies I've worked at where they are so afraid of firing somebody because they don't want to train up somebody new or they don't think that there's somebody to replace them that they let that poisonous person just like dictate the company forever. Oh, man. Yeah, I'm a big, I'm a bit, especially like if that person has any amount of talent, oh my God, it's a nightmare. But like, I'm a big advocate for culture over talent always because like, yeah, the toxicity, it'll, that'll sink your company more than anything. And somebody, a buddy of mine who I went to college with, his name's Roger Carter. I think he works for like Blue Origin now or something. But he said something to me a while ago, which I think is, I don't think it's like, it's not like his thing, but it's like, if you, if you put your finger in a glass of water and remove your finger, there's no void, you know, like it fills in and that's business. Like, if if your business is built on some random person, like leaving is going to collapse the whole thing, you you probably have a bigger issue. You know what I mean? Right. You've built <laughs> like, a Jenga tower and not a glass of water. Yeah, exactly. It's yeah. crazy. Yeah. And then the last chapter, like you said, was, you know, discipline equals freedom, basically. And yeah. realizing that the more you have an established discipline, the more freedom it allows you to go outside those bounds if you need to. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I think that like the reason I wanted to read this book is I think that there are so many little things in here that I have seen over and over and over in businesses I've worked in where it's just Mm -hmm. like extreme ownership in general, I think is something that we all struggle with. Nobody wants to take the blame ever. And and really, I, I think the last time I read this at the last company I worked at, they I think the president had read this book and i saw it on a shelf so i read it and then we ended up going through it as a company and reading through it in in groups kind of doing a book club like it was Mm. one or two chapters every other week or something like that and uh i completely lost my train of thought (laughs) (laughs) why you want to go through it oh yeah, yeah, yeah um no didn't help no no the thing the thing that that got me is uh it is it is there were some things like the, I mean, I personally, I like to think that I hold myself accountable. The, so like in general, extreme ownership, like I blame myself for everything anyway. I mean, <laughs> you know what I mean? It's especially cause like I'm, I'm the sole owner of my company. So anything that happens is mostly my decision. And so if it's, I can't really like point above me, like God didn't make me do it. I did it myself, you know? Right. Um, and like that so initially i was kind of curious like there was the little things the whole the whole leadership thing i really liked because i like it did make me question i've i've always considered myself like a pretty effective leader and then i think about like seeing this and it's like oh that's a good point because like the guy that i fired he like i would say like before i was like he did this and he did that and blah 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 and like I could have probably handled that situation better. It would have it would have mostly required me to be micromanaging him, but I probably could have done like the better way to do that would be more in depth check ins, you know, right, yeah. and one on ones and things like that to actually check the progress of the project that the one single project he was working on to make sure that we weren't falling behind and what he said was happening was actually happening. The 
the weird thing for me there is that my other guys I don't need to do that with. You know? And so there's the other aspect of that that they really that they flipped is what the one that I liked was the whole CEO telling the salespeople something and then that her not receiving information back and that that was a I mean everything I mean I think I said this on the first episode that I was on which is like everything's business is a two-way street it's like like if you're a good fit like if you're communicating that communication has to flow both ways because I don't know how to help you if I don't know how to help you you know if you don't if you don't tell me that you have an issue then I can't get you going but also if if I'm not like pressing enough, especially when we're like having problems, then that's on me um, to figure to figure out how to um, like do little check-ins to make sure that everything's going well. Right. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I feel like that touches on a few chapters, like decentralized mm-hmm. command and leading up and down the chain. Like you were yeah. spoiled by two of your guys being excellent at leading up the chain and delivering you all of the stuff that they knew you wanted and so the one that didn't you're like oh well he must not have any problems because i don't hear anything from him like (laughs) yeah yeah exactly that makes total sense it's just tough like it really Mm -hmm. is tough to know like it's you don't want to bug a person and make them miserable because you're like overbearing but you also yeah like it is that dichotomy of leadership of like i need to have an upper and a lower limit of intervention and finding that that middle point is is really tough to find. Yeah, true. I remembered my my thought. So the second time I read it, I realized this whole idea of extreme ownership really is just a way to so blame in general is unproductive and it doesn't mean anything. Yeah. It doesn't matter who did what. It only matters about the plan there forward. Yeah. And so like the whole idea of extreme ownership is really just like a mental exercise to leap over any amount of blame. Like, it's just Mm -hmm. like, you know what? I'll, I'll take it. I screwed up. I did something wrong. We can, we can figure that out at the end in our after action report or, you know, our whatever you want to call it. And I'll do better on that next time. But from here on out, we need to prioritize whatever the plan is and make sure that this doesn't like it doesn't happen and gets fixed immediately. Yeah. Yeah. So like my practical example there with my guy is once I realized like, especially because we have been dealing with financial issues and I realized like very quickly, like, oh, this is a problem. I did like, I pretty much fired him immediately and went to my customer, kind of explained the situation, like really kind of asked, like, I was like, hey, here's what's going on. Like I need, I know we are, we are here and we should be there. And like, I need money. (laughs) Like we, like, this is kind of where we're at. Like, you just kind of give me an advance on this and I can get, I'll bring in this guy, that guy, whatever. And I, I hit up a couple of friends who do robot programming. One of them got back to me right away. So I got him as a contractor and that turnaround was basically like a day. You know, I was like, I went from the most mad I've ever been professionally to, and then I was like, I put, I just like went to sleep. I didn't do anything. I just went to bed and I woke up and was like, okay, this is what I'm going to, this is what I'm going to do. And just kind of put the, put that plan in motion. And for the most part, it worked out. We pretty much scrapped, like we, we had to start the project over five months in to a three month project, you know, that's rough. It's, it's brutal. uh, But you know, wouldn't like just hardcore recovery and we're more or less back on track at this point. But like, yeah, the the plan 
is the only thing that matters because like delivery, like, I mean, kind of going back to critical chain and stuff, like delivery is the only thing that matters more than anything. Like, like finding out who did the wrong thing and how it went wrong. Like that's post-mortem stuff. You know, we could figure that out later, but right now we have a job to do and that's getting parts out the door, completing a project, whatever, whatever. Yeah. Well, and that's how you keep customers. Like I think that for anybody who's running a small job shop or, you know, manufacturing company, extreme ownership can really be applied with your customers too. Cause like when they call you and they're angry at you or whatever, they don't like, they just want to hear, I'm sorry, here's the plan. And like the faster you can get to that of like, Oh, I'm sorry. It's our fault. Here's what we're going to do to fix it like that. Mm -hmm. That will turn the conversation around so quickly. Oh yeah. If you, yeah, just, Having a solution is is always is gonna trump just about anything. It's yeah. it's when it's like nobody nobody wants I was just having a conversation with my old boss about this, like in methods and he's like a lot of people just like shit talk their their system for doing projects. Like, oh, this is a problem and that's a problem and blah blah blah. And it's like, but it's effective, it works. And if you don't have a solution, kind of shut the fuck up and do your job. Because uh, who, it does nothing to complain about it, you know? It, well, and like, I think we've all been in, you know, root cause corrective action meetings or something where they just want to like sit there and pick every little detail apart. And you're like, there are still parts on the machine. Can we get those running first? <laughs> like, can yeah. we actually try to meet our customer's date or like, you know, try to not be eight months late and try to be like a couple months late instead. Like there's, yeah. I don't know how many meetings I've been in like that with customers where it's like, I understand that, you know, you have your standards to uphold or whatever, and you have to do these meetings, but like, can we start with the corrective action and then go back and like, while I'm making parts do the root cause, like, can we make money while we're doing this? Cause otherwise yeah. I've been in them before where it's like, Oh, well, let's call on this machinist. Okay, now let's call on this machinist. Okay, now let's analyze what they said. And, fit. and it's like, is this helping anybody? Is this making anybody money? Like, is this making, yeah. is this helping the business at all make it make money? No. No, it never does. Like, oh, yeah, it's so interesting. It's these like non value add activities that seem important um, and just really, they just really add nothing. And this, like, you know, you got spindles idle and everyone's just trying to like, hey, you, 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 let's go. Like, we're not gaining anything by doing this. Oh, yeah. Please, please stop. I've been in corrective action meetings where there's like seven or eight machinists, too. And you're like, that's insane. None of their spindles are turning like this is this is crazy. Like, it needs to be done. I completely agree. And, you know. So we got one question from Develop LLC of like discuss the balance of ownership. At some point, those machinists also need to own up of like, yeah, we all screwed up parts. Like that's why we're all here. But like, yeah, at the same time, we need to figure out a way to do this quickly and not like pick apart. Every, you know, we don't need three hour meeting for one mistake. It's just stupid. Yeah. Yeah. It's we're like the it's so fascinating because a lot of that ends up leading to like extremely bloated processes and QMSs and things like that, where you have like you try and process out all of your this kind of goes into the like the decisiveness thing where you end up creating this this environment and culture of indecisiveness because every mistake gets litigated to death. And so people just start to not do things 
or hide stuff hide mistakes yeah 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 and do it because doing nothing or hiding it is is uh better than the alternative of like now i'm gonna get written up we're gonna have a meeting i'm gonna have to do this i'm gonna have to do that blah 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 and people think like like i always wonder at what point like uh, someone in upper management like forgets what it's like to be an employee because it seems like you've probably experienced this where it seems like at a certain level of management, people just like, it's like they've never had a regular job. Like they've always been a manager or something. And it's like, how did you like, do you have no idea how humans work? <laughs> when did you lose that? Cause I just like, don't understand how your brain is working right now. It's like, Oh, we could just, we'll just do this, that, and this, and we'll just make people do that. And then we'll be fine. And it's like, but why would they like, right. but they weren't doing the other thing. And so why would they do this new thing that you're proposing out of nowhere that is mostly just a punishment for them? Like, where are you getting that from? Yeah. So I've talked about this guy three or four times on the podcast, Nicholas Means. Have you seen Mm -hmm. his talks? No. So I'll put them in the show notes again. If you have not seen them, I think they are. He's just like a, a total aerospace nerd. And like, so he's got a bunch on planes and stuff like that and how to build good teams. And a lot of them are all centered around uh, not tragedies, but catastrophes. So like the one that I'm thinking of in this is about blameless postmortems and it's about the three mile Island disaster. And so he goes into here's how the disaster happened. You know, how could these people miss it? Blah, blah, blah. And they did this entire giant study on this and report that it turned out that like there were so many extenuating circumstances outside of what face value would have caused this you know like you look at the data the rough data and you're like how do these people not see that this reactor was melting down and then you find out like all of these other things like oh everybody in the control room was in the nuclear navy and so the warning sign that they should have been looking at was is never a problem on a sub so they're not looking for that one they're looking for something completely different um and so i'll put the video in the link definitely send it to you you gotta watch it all of his yeah. talks are amazing. Like he's got one on skunk works. He's got one on that big DC 10 crash in the seventies or eighties. And like how those three pilots, you know, I think they still lost a quarter of the people on board, but could have been a hundred percent of them. Oh, and shit. they are some of the best talks. Like he does them at developer conferences. Cause he, I think he worked at a few different tech companies, but okay. probably the best like talks on building teams and blameless postmortems and all of that that I've ever seen. Like just so they're like 30 or 45 minutes and they just go by it in a blink of an eye. And so I'll definitely put them in the show notes. So when you say blameless postmortem, is that in like a positive or a negative way that like that is an acceptable outcome or that is an unacceptable outcome? It is. Or just an outcome. It is just, this is what happened. Here is the fact finding that led. This is how this Uh, happened. That's all it is. Oh, Oh, there, I see. There's, I like, see. This person did anything wrong. It's like yeah. this person did this, and then this happened, and then this happened, and here's what we can learn from it. And like, yes, yeah, so it's an objective look at at the facts. That's not like skewed towards like pointing the finger at people. Gotcha. Yeah, yeah. And because this was such a big meltdown and on U.S. soil, like they basically did this at a governmental level, which very rarely happens. <laughs> yeah. And so it was just, it's like such a really interesting way to look at problems. And I think that 
extreme ownership kind of goes hand in hand with that. Like extreme ownership is the opposite side of that coin where if everybody takes ownership, we can get past the blame stuff real quick and do these postmortems and kind of figure out what the hell went wrong and make sure it doesn't happen again. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Which is sometimes it's uh, like, sometimes that's tough. Like, especially when you're down in the dumps, you start wanting, you really want to like, you really want to find a cause. Like there's like mentally you're like, it's not me. This something else is fucking this up for me and I need it. But it truly, and, and like, when your when your brain is like that, you're it's it seems like the right thing to do. You're like, I just need some. There's something external happening here that that is causing all of my issues, and that's never the case, almost ever. And if you just own it and speak it into existence, it's just so much easier to to move past and like fix your problems if you own your problems, as opposed to like I mean, it's so stressful to try like like the thought of like hiding or lying is just and like not and not just taking ownership of it and moving on it's just it's such a stressful situation it's crazy yeah it really is and like just doesn't help anybody you know mm-hmm. like and like you said it just makes you miserable like it really yeah. like you can get so down that rabbit hole of like hating everyone and just bitching and moaning about everything and it's just so toxic that when once you change your mindset and you're like this is the situation. I'm just going to do my best. I'm going to be disciplined and just kick ass and we'll see where this goes. I'm like, that's the best way to do it. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Not that it's easy, like by far. It's, it's really hard. Like, I mean, discipline is tough and like, I'm, I don't know. I'm on my, I'm on episode because I'm going through the whole backlog of within tolerance. I just started, like, I just started listening to it when Melissa was on. Um, And then I'm I'm up through like episode 120 or something right now. And there's just like this huge, there's a section right now with like, I think it's Josh Ogle and Andrew Henry, Henry Holsters were on. And there's both of those and maybe one other one, maybe Adam, uh, that like there was like a couple in a row that all kind of ended up dealing with discipline um, like and being like disciplined as an owner. I always right as you came like right around your transition to full time and how that's been and how that was like affecting your mind and things because you have a set schedule when you go to a job every day, but now you are setting your own schedule and things like that. And it's so easy like to just be like, I guess I could just leave the shop and stuff or, or like for me right now, my discipline is my discipline issues are mostly around just like, like health, you know, I just like, don't do anything. (laughs) I've been trying to be better about it, but it's like, oh, I can be healthy later, which is so silly because it just doesn't do anything like sleep. I don't need to sleep. I don't need to wake up early or I don't need to do this. I don't need to be healthy. That's been a big focus. That's the, that's why I say like, that's the part that like hit me the hardest. Cause it's like, I've just been like so flat out that I've been essentially just like a working robot trying to like keep going, but like trying to like build some routine into my life so that it makes working easier and my whole life easier is fucking rough. Yeah. Uh, you know, that's another dichotomy where you're like, I don't have time to, to work out or like, you know, walk or whatever, but by not making that time, you make yourself sick or unhealthy, which makes you less productive. So then you yeah. definitely don't have the time. And it's this like self-reinforcing cycle. 
yeah it's it's really tough like i i feel like i go up and down at like a roller coaster of like okay i'm gonna work out every day and like do this and then like you know a week or two will come by where i'm like at the shop super late and just and i'm like oh, i don't have time and dude it really it's tough it really is tough yeah the way i just like i carry around like resistance bands you know and that's what i've been starting and then like just like nothing's happening just like bust out the resistance bands and do like something or i'm in like a massive shop this shop is probably like i don't know two hundred thousand square feet or something and i'm just like because they do aerospace composites so these things are huge oh, like some of these parts are fucking huge like they they have they do the booms this place does the booms for in-flight refueling oh. those things are fucking long yeah <laughs> uh, they don't look so long in videos you know right <laughs> like it looks tiny but like so well, yeah when you have a, a jet as a scale object you're like yeah everything's small and then you see it i'm sure it's giant yeah they're fucking huge I've just been walking around this place, getting my steps in, trying to do anything. And like, I don't know, <laughs> you know, it's just always little things so stupid, like going to get a burger from like in and out. I guess I, I'll just skip fries, you know, something yeah. silly, but it's just little baby. Think about this. Cause like every time I've tried to do it outside of college where like college is like very just regimented for the most part, it's been really difficult because I just ramp too hard and then then you fall off because it's like, I'm going to I'm going to really do it. And then it's like, no, you're not. Come on. Yeah. Like just baby steps. Make it a habit. Do that whole thing. I saw some video of a I think he was a personal trainer or something. And he said that the hardest part of like working out consistently is the routine. Mm-hmm. So he said that when he started with people that didn't have any history of working out, they would. Yeah. He would just tell them, go to the gym every day and do one set of, of anything. Like walk mm-hmm. on the treadmill for five minutes, do five minutes of anything and then leave. And he's yeah. like, do that for the first, you know, two weeks to a month. And like that will pattern your brain of like, oh, this is what I do every day. This is what I do every other day, yeah. you know, whatever it is. And he, he said that he found so much more success with his clients when they did that first because it created that routine. And then from then on, it was like, oh, well, now I'm already here. Like, I might as well work out, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I just thought of something that I was going to ask. Because, like, eventually you're going to hire somebody, right? There's this, like, it's just kind of what probably you're you're going, the road you're going towards down, going down. Yeah. What, yeah. what, like, reading this book and, like, thinking about extreme ownership, like, what what are you looking for? in somebody in an interview and like what would you ask somebody that's going to that's going to like let you know that their mindset is correct for your company i think that one of them i would steal from jamie for sure is you know what did you fuck up and how did you fix it yeah because i think that like i think i've said it before i don't care what they know currently like i can train them up Mm -hmm. to be where i need them to be but i need somebody who's not going to be shy to make mistakes. Mm-hmm. Like, I think that that's, that's the kind of environment I learned in. And it was so valuable to me that I couldn't not do that for somebody else, you know? Yeah. Um. So I think talking a lot about mistakes and how they've made them and how they've made them better. I think that that's a big deal to me is, is really ownership. I'm, you know, going back to the book, ownership of screwing up and how to make yourself better and how to learn from your mistakes. Yeah. Nice. What have you asked employees about? Well, I mean, I guess you, a lot of your employees have just been friends, so you kind of all, have worked with them. All of them have been friends. 
So I haven't asked, I haven't really had to interview anybody because I had worked with them. And I mean, I whiffed on one, even though like I probably should have, I probably should have known and I might have had goggles on when I, cause I was just like, oh, I really want to get into automation. And I, and like, that's the, um, that kind of goes back to one of these bad boys is, uh, like probably prioritize and execute is like, I, I went out on a limb and hired that guy, like really, really risky. And it just didn't pay off overall. Like didn't really have the work, didn't really have the money and just kind of was like, I think I could figure it out and I couldn't figure it out. But <clears throat> the things that, yeah, like mistakes, like how, like the mistakes one is one that I look for. And especially now looking back, it's like, I don't, I really hate like, this is a weird one, but like when people are like, I know things like, Ooh, that's a weird one. That's a like, kind of, kind of like a red flag, you know? Cause like, it's like, if you know how to do everything, like then, then there's a weird problem with when you know things is that you actually probably don't. And so you, you have, you have really just built a box around what your idea is of everything. And that's, that's all you're going to, you're going to do because you quote unquote fucking know it. And so it's like, nope, that doesn't exist. And it's like, doesn't it? It's like, can't do that. And it's like, why? And so you end up and like, I guess like really the one is like when people speak in absolutes, oh brother, that one really fucks me up. I like that. Um, Yeah. That's a really good, good idea. And I think that hand in hand with that, I would probably ask about self-improvement. Like what mm-hmm. kind of activities they do, you know, do they listen to podcasts? Do they watch YouTube videos? Like how do they continue learning? Yeah. And I, I'm not yeah. quite sure how I would structure it, but like I would love to provide incentives for continued learning in our company. Sure. Um, yeah. That is an interesting one. Yeah. I don't know how exactly how you build that in. And I guess kind of like leading up and down the chain whoever you bring in, do they become part of decision-making process for the business going forward? Or is that mostly going to be handled between you and Brad? Or like how many employees do you start to like separate who's making decisions for things? And I guess, have you thought about that? Probably not. No, it it seems so far off. Yeah. I don't know. Like I would love to say like, oh yeah, we're always going to be like this collaborative nature, but like at some point, you know, you you get big enough that there will be decision makers and then others. But I don't know. I I feel like if it's something that affects the company, it would be nice to have some kind of company forum and just, Mm -hmm. you know, like this is what we're thinking of doing. If there's any thoughts that you'd like to get off your chest about it, we'll hear them now. Not, you know, not that like, not a vote, but like, hey, this is yeah. a, a change that we're looking at doing. We'd love to hear your thoughts on it kind of thing. Yeah, because like, and that's, I guess that's the leading up and down the chain, right? Which is like trying to, I, I described it to somebody recently as like a temporal pincer move, you know, if you've ever seen <laughs> Tenet, which is like going from, from top to bottom and like yeah. forward, like thinking forwards and backwards. Because uh, like, that that's something I think is really important. And a lot of companies just don't do in general is like, and they kind of cover this in the book, which is you have a lot of assholes that make decisions in, in a ivory tower. And they're like, this is what we're doing. Or I had a boss who would get us all into a room and be like, what do you guys think? And it's like, what do you guys think about this idea? And it's like, that's a bad one for these reasons. Uh, and he's like, okay, cool. And then we would just go, then he would go into a room and decide that we were doing, his thing 
that question. It was mostly looking for like he was hoping we would approve it. And then oh, like boy. two months later, like a lot of the time after whatever was happening wasn't working, he would be like, guys, I fucking got the idea. And it was like the stuff that we initially would talk to him about. <laughs> He's like, and that that makes it's like if there's this is a very interesting thing that's based on mindset too, which is if you are generally happy, you know, uh, your boss doing what you suggested and going with your plan um, is fine, no matter how it, no matter how you get there, because it is a positive change, and you're like, cool. So we are heading in the right direction, even though. And he needed to see that this was that whatever was he suggested was dumb, and like he needed the proof that it was bad. But the flip side of that is, if you are in a bad mindset. When when your boss does that, you're just like, "Fuck this guy, fuck this right. company." You I'm got not what you deserve anymore. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's when so I think that, like, I think the hardest part of doing something like that too is is going to be creating a culture where my employees feel like they actually do have the voice to say, like, mm-hmm. "That's a stupid fucking plan," and like, yeah. you know, like that's that's so hard because, like, I mean, I I've had bosses that say, like, "Oh yeah, I'm open to criticism," but like. You never want to do that. And so I don't know how to appropriately like broach that or like say that. And I don't know if that is just like as a boss having extremely strict uh, extreme ownership of like your mistakes and like making sure people Mm -hmm. know when you make mistakes and that you're fixing them. And so that they know that you're not, you know, infallible and also that you recognize when you've made mistakes. Yeah. Yeah. Which is tough. Uh, And that is like you like they they put in the book they bring kind of bring that up a bunch or that once the sales the sales uh salesman the where the the CEO was making decisions and like had a really good plan but like didn't articulate it mm-hmm. um, yeah. is so fascinating cuz it's hard to it's hard to communicate that you cuz even like i mean how many times have you dealt with somebody where they're like oh i'm super open to criticism and you're like okay cool and like suggestions and then you start suggesting things and it's just like immediately defensive and you're like okay so are you not open to criticism (laughs) like or what's happening here i don't understand like why are you upset with me all of a sudden right Um, well and i think it's it's hard on the employee side because it's there's a fine line between sharing criticism and then becoming argumentative yeah and like one of them is like i don't agree with this and it's like cool but we're gonna do it but then when they're like, well, you're wrong, like, and, and, you know, keep harping on it, then it's like, okay, that part is unacceptable. Like, I, I, I get it. I've heard your, yeah. you voiced your opinion. I understand. Here are the reasons why we're still doing it, you know? Yeah. And like, I don't want to hear any more like dissension. Like there's a difference between like dissension and criticism, I think. Yeah. When like, oh man, I was, I'm when, when I was an employee, so outrageously aggressive with my bosses. <laughs> And just like very forthcoming, uh, which has like, for the most part, I found is like well received depending on because like if the if your boss doesn't take it well, probably they suck like to a certain level. I guess like it does depend on like if you're just going back, like if you're just like literally shit talking every single thing that they do without understanding. But there are like, I mean, I kind of usurped a couple people in my day, but uh uh, like I'm thinking back to like methods days where there was a lot of policies in place that I just didn't 
like that I thought were dumb and that slowed us down. And like, I was like, what the fuck is going on here? And then kind of, and then like come to find out like, Oh, the rule behind that is it has to do with Homeland security showing up and being like, Hey, if you guys don't like tighten up your dock control, like you can't do any of this work ever again. And it's like, got it. I don't understand why people don't lead with that. Cause that's a pretty good reason to like, to, to really want to be locked down, but sure. Instead of like, you know, threatening to fire people over doing something right. um, that well, seems arbitrary. Poor leading up and down the chain and that's yeah. poor making people believe. Like that's just, yeah, yeah you need to know why for something mm-hmm. like that. Like if it seems so dumb and enough people are doing it, that they're threatening to fire people. Like yeah, it's they like need to do get, a better job. You need to relax. Let's go. Side tangent. Going back to employees, yeah. I had said last time that I would love to hire from my local community college. Yeah. You see that post that went to Pima's new building? Dude, I did. It looks Holy crap. Rad. It is so insane. So like I went there, I don't know, six, seven, eight years ago now. Shit, time's crazy. Um, and they were like hole in the wall classrooms. Like the programming room was like zero windows, tiny uh-huh. room. I think there's like 12 desks in there. And that was all that could be in that class or maybe 15 desks plus like yeah. the, the instructor. And it is insane. Like the they have one entire wing on the bottom floor for machining. Then they have an entire wing for welding. And then the second floor, I think, is all CAD CAM and robotics or not CAD CAM, CAD and robotics. Cool. And the third floor has an entire business development center where they're going to be able to rent out like offices and have conference rooms you can uh-huh. use and advisors and all of that. Awesome. Um, oh, my goodness. It was so cool. They, they bought like ton of Mark Forge printers, including the metal ones. They're going to have ovens to do the sintering with the Mark Forge stuff. They've got they, they bought DMG equipment okay. three or four years ago. Yeah. To replace some, or not to replace, but in addition to the Haas machines they have. Yeah. And it sounds like they're going to be adding a little bit more machinery, but man, it is just so nice. Like, oh, and they also bought CMMs. So now they're actually going to have like a full inspection program. So both Brad and I were like, oh, cool. Whatever CMM we end up buying, like they're going to have a a Zeiss, a Hexagon, and then one other one that's going to be running Nikon CMM Manager. Like, Like no matter what we get. Might have been in Ames, yeah. So yeah. whatever we end up with, we will be able to go there for classes. That is awesome. That's so yeah. fucking cool. And they're planning on starting to teach out of it this fall. Like it was so soon. Holy sh- like the holy building's basically shit. done. Yeah, when we were yeah. there, they were like painting and like covering up lights and stuff so they could do the finished painting. But so cool. Oh, and they're on the third floor, there is an enti- a giant... 10 ton crane that runs the length of the building so they can pick stuff up off of one street and then distribute it through the entire building like drop you know printers off on the second floor with this thing and like holy shit so cool so that is insane you should uh, you should go teach a class there in your in your free time (laughs) so you Uh, recruit yeah i would be totally open to it to like adjunct you know one or two classes or whatever but yeah, just so cool. Like, I, I was so pumped. If anybody is in the Tucson area and looking for something to do, like, you know, skill learning and stuff, definitely highly recommend Pima. Like, I already love the instructors, and now they really have the the backing to really execute on all this. Nice. That's awesome. Yeah. And they, I didn't even know. So, like, Pima also has a automotive program where you can learn to be a mechanic, basically, and, you know, all the diagnosis stuff. They have a giant new building that apparently has been around since 
June or July of last year or something like that. Like not as big, but maybe as big as like the bottom two or the bottom floor of the new manufacturing building. Oh shit. And it's like sponsored by Ford or something. It was like, Oh, okay, cool. This, this place is like yeah, significantly better than what I want here. That's, that's what you love to see. Like, Oh cool. It's a real program now. <laughs> I mean, I, I learned a lot, but like we went into the old shop and it is so crammed in there now compared to where they're going to be. It's just I'm pumped for everyone that will be going through that program soon. Nice. Yeah, you could just start doing internships or whatever. Do they do like co-ops there? No, probably not. Or I don't think so. But yeah, like you said, I'd love to have an you know when we start looking to hire, I'd love to have an intern from there or just an employee from there. Like I, I found the reason I excelled so quickly in my studies there was because I was working at the same time in a shop. Like my yeah. last, it's a two-year program. My last full year that I was there, I was working in a shop the entire time too. And it was like. Okay, so I go to work, I apply what I learned at school, I come back with questions from work of things we didn't cover, they answer those, like it, it just, you know, reinforced and built and built and built. That's sick. That's cool. Yeah, I'm pumped. I'm, I'm really pumped yeah. for them. Like okay. I, if they, they have a NLX 2500 twin spindle lathe with live tooling and all that. That's the single turret? Yeah, single turret. Yeah. Yeah. So if they been talking about for years doing a advanced lathe class and if they end up doing that i'll probably go back and take that as well because that would be a ton of fun i think that one's i know that the dmg machines they bought there was one fanic which i think is the cmx 1100 they have a dmu 50 that's siemens and then i think the nlx is a mitsubishi control with whatever maps or i think is over the top of it the silos probably that's what it is silos not maps yeah yeah Yeah, maps is the 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 old overlay yeah yeah so 2016 <laughs> yeah so if, if they if they do that i'd love to go back for that as well but either way like if we get a hexagon cmm we'll send brad to take the class and if we get a, a zeiss we'll both go and take the class and learn more about that i mean obviously we'll take the training through zeiss as well but to have yeah. something locally that we can go back and kind of slowly hone our skills on will be awesome too I'd be like, hey, I got some parts. I got some practical examples over here. Let's let's give this a sh- let's give this a whirl. Yeah, totally. Oh, so speaking of CMMs too, I told you last time that I was like dead set on Zeiss. Yeah, and it was like no way considering Hexagon. But so the Hexagon salesman around here is fantastic. Like he mm-hmm. was the the highlight of using a Hexagon CMM at my last job. He is. I think he used to do contract programming on hexagon machinery and so he actually like knows what he's doing he's not just like a a talking head sales guy and so like i could go to him with complicated questions in addition to like oh get us a quote for a machine but so he he came by the shop you know he he texted me one morning maybe two or three weeks ago and was just like hey i'm in town can i come by came by dropped off donuts was just like hey just just wanted to say hi like i know you guys aren't buying a cmm right now just wanted to say hi and I told him, I was like, listen, dude, I think I'm probably going to end up with his ice. Like, I hate to say that because I, I love working with you. And he's like, just give us a shot. Like, he's like, I, you know, I, I'm not going to bad talk Zeiss. They make great machinery. Their software is good. Uh, but just just give us a shot. I think you'll find us pretty competitive. And I realized at the end of the day, it doesn't really matter for me. Like, I can use mm-hmm. PCDMS. I've used it for five years. It really matters if Brad feels like he can pick it up. 
And so yeah. we're going to end up, we're going to give them a shot. We're going to go up to both Zeiss and Hexagon, bring them probably the same part and print and be like, program this. How fast can you get this ready? Like, not, don't give it to them in advance, but give it to them day of. Be like, we're here, program it. Yeah. And just like have Brad look at both of them and be like, this one is the one that I feel like I can learn. Okay, nice. Who sells Zeiss and Hexagon there? This is Hexagon. US total quality EQ. systems. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They they sell Zeiss. And so far, if he's listening, you got another chance. Feel free to contact <laughs> me. But like he has not been it has not been a great communication so far. Like yeah. I, I asked him what I thought was a very simple ask. I was like, hey, before I buy this CMM, I want to pay for your guys' class, your your level one certificate or not certification, level one training, which is like two mm-hmm. grand. And all I'm asking is that if I end up buying a Zeiss CMM, you roll that back off the price because it comes sure. with it. And like has been a string of emails of like, oh, well, I got to ask Zeiss and like, oh, well, they haven't gotten back to me. I'm like, you're telling me you don't have $2,000 worth of wiggle room and in these things that you can just take off? Like I, I think- call bullshit. Like there's no way... <laughs> I think Methods also sells Zeiss. You probably still. I asked for, I went through Zeiss's website and asked for information on a couple Uh, CMMs, and TQS was the one that they referred me to. Gotcha. But it was like, I don't know, does that seem like such a wild ask of like, Mm -hmm. hey, I don't want to drop 60, 70 grand on a machine I don't like. All I want to do is pay. I'm paying two grand out of pocket to take your class. And if I don't, if I like it, I just want you to roll that back off the price. Now, it seems pretty reasonable. I feel like a lot of, I feel like a lot of places would do you that solid. I would think you so. Would, you would like, think like it's not it's not that crazy. It's not that crazy of a request. No, when I'm yeah. spending eighty to a hundred thousand dollars on something, yeah. I don't you know I, I feel like spending two grand is kind of a low bar to entry. Like yeah. if I it, if I don't like it. I'd much rather spend two grand than a hundred grand and like walk away from the whole thing being like, well, I, I know the competition now. I know what it does. I guess I'm going with, you know, an Ames or I'm going with Hexagon yeah. or something. I'm going with the, I, the devil I know. There's a guy, there's a guy on the East Coast. I'll put you in contact with them because all he does, they do, the company does um, like contract CMM work essentially. And they have, they have Zeiss, hexagon and aims they do all three and he like he has a pretty good um compare like he has a really good idea of the comparisons between them and like what he likes and what he doesn't like about all of them okay cool guy yeah, i yeah. appreciate that because yeah i was i think i said it on the alex and mickey episode but like i told the hexagon guy like i want something that is just very quick to program like we make one or two parts i can't spend more time programming my CMM than I than I do machining the part or like programming the part, you know. So and, and he was like, I don't know if that exists, you know. And I, yeah. I got the impression that like none of them are really well templated for things like that. So cool. I don't know. Well, yeah, exactly. I was like, great. <laughs> yeah. So that's this sucks. And like there are softwares like Power Inspect out there, but then okay, that's a what fifteen twenty thousand dollar license on top of a yeah. eighty to a hundred thousand dollar machine, so I can use it better. And you know. At scale, that might make more sense. But for our first CMM, I'm not sure that I can really justify that right off the bat. Yeah, it seems that might be a bit of a, a bit of a stretch right away. Too yeah. too too much growth. Like right. talk, like leveraging yourself to the nines. Yeah. And if I'm gonna leverage myself anymore right now, it's probably gonna be for a five axis over a CMM. Yeah. So 
We'll see. Uh, I think you should do it. Pull the yeah, trigger. it needs to happen. We need to figure out a way to do it. So yeah, and it'll then, happen. You know, you just put the order in. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. Easy peasy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'll just, I'll just go ahead and yeah, add you, it to cart tonight. Yeah, just you know, click buy, go to Amazon, be like <laughs> five access <laughs> machines. Right. Yeah. Just put this hover over, show up tomorrow. It sounds good to me. Yeah, I'll, I'll yeah. get right on that. <laughs> yeah, you could like, especially if it's gonna take a while, you could do some. Um, I know methods. I know you're not looking at any method stuff, but like, if the delivery was taking like months, they would you, they would allow you to like put the order in and then not put any money down until like a month before it was gonna ship from the factory. So you could like you know, like they weren't they weren't hanging your ass out there. Because they were, they had poor logistics and stuff. Right. Yeah. No. I, I need to. I have done zero earnest looking into all this stuff. Like it's been lots of like touching base with people, meeting people, but nothing like, mm-hmm. hey, can I get a quote? Is that Seb um, in the background there? Hmm? You got yeah. Seb. He's right yeah. there. Yeah. It's got to be Hermla. Come on. Yeah. <laughs> well, it probably is. I mean, we're going to Germany. What two weeks from now? Yeah. So. I don't know. I, we're not, we haven't committed to anything. Like I, like I said, I haven't gotten a quote on anything, but it'll be really cool to see where a potential machine we might buy is made and really yeah. get to dive in with them. Like I think they have 20 something machine demos while we're there. And so oh, I, shit. I'm really planning on either there if I can, or when we get back sitting down with my regional sales manager and kind of laying out like, okay, these are the options I want you know which ones can i put off till later which because like you can i think you can well i know you can get automation prep i know mm-hmm. you know I, I would love to get like the whole thing and the palette changer and everything all at once but i don't think we're going to do that right off the bat the the fucking cost difference but like I, i've just been going through this exercise of like finding machines finding five access machines for like a company as as a as some as one of our um, consulting deals probably like the only thing we've ever like straight consulted on and the the price of the hermola c250 uh, with like base model to like optioned out with the hs flex is nuts because it's like oh yeah that's under 300 grand that's pretty good and then it's like you put you start putting all this stuff on it and it's like six hundred and fifty thousand dollars. how did we get there yeah like but i mean it's tough I will say, like, the people that I, like, I mean, I'm sure Jamie could speak to it, too, like, and he did. Like, it's a fucking good machine. They make good machines. And we have a we have a project on a C400 right now, and it's my guy's, like, first Heidenhain. Um, and we got Camplete for it, just because we use Mastercam, and that's that's nice. Um, and, dude, like, thing fucking rips. No issues. Yeah. Good stuff. Honestly, it ticks all the boxes, and like, like I've said before on the, the show, the service from everyone I've talked to who has one just seems unparalleled, like in the the world of five axis. So do you deal with like, so I do have a question. Cause like my guy is dealing with North South machinery. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, they would be and, our reseller as well. Yeah. 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 So would they be doing your service or just Hermelate? Cause it's like, all direct. Okay. That's what I thought. It's, I was very confused at first. I was like, who how the fuck did these guys get Hermelate? Um, but they're just selling them. They're not actually doing anything else with them. So like app support is all Hermola and same thing with service and installation. That makes a lot more sense. Cause like that's a, they're a very young company to the chip side of things. Yeah. Um, well, North South only got the Hermola brand, at least in Arizona last year. Like, yeah. 
a month or two before IMCS. Never heard of those guys before. I hadn't either. And they came yeah. by unannounced to the shop, and it was one of the few times that I've been okay with those guys coming by, like just random salesmen dropping by, because they're... So our, our two guys are Logan and Brian, and they are mm-hmm. fantastic. Like, we hung out with them a bunch at IMTS. We went to dinner with them. They are... Like every interaction we've had has been a ton of fun with that. Yeah. So yeah, I don't know. We'll see. I'm not, like I said, I haven't made any commitments to anything, but a C250 really seems like it checks all the boxes right now. That's sick. I mean, it's hard to go wrong, you know, it's 30 tools or something. So you get more tools. You can get up to 88, I think on that bad yeah. boy. But after, after the stock tools, I think it's a, basically a thousand dollars a tool to add on. Cause you can Sorry. either get, I want to say it's like either a fifth, I want to say you can get up to like 120 extra tools because you can get a 50 and an 80 tool mag. And I believe they stack or like they'll they'll go next to each other and pass between. Yeah, maybe somebody I'm sure can correct me if I'm wrong. But yeah, they're basically a thousand dollars a tool. So either 50 or 80 grand from what I've heard, at least again, have not gotten a quote. So mm-hmm. don't don't quote me on this because I have not gotten a quote. Yeah, I'm I'm looking at my spreadsheet right now. Um so do I have the C250? Yeah, C250 base 330. And then with the HS Flex and 88 tools and 12 pallets, it's 650. Yeah. Yeah. And um, we probably wouldn't get, even when we got an HS Flex, we probably wouldn't get all 12 pallets right off the bat because you can get yeah. like certain levels of, you, you don't yeah. have to stock all 12, you know, and you don't have to get both sides of the HS Flex filled. Yeah. You can get like one shelf or, whatever they call it, run rack. Yeah, yeah. Who knows? By the time we're there, maybe we will get everything just balls to the wall and add a tool tower at the same time and call it a day. But You just start balling out. I could see it. (laughs) (laughs) I hope so. But I think we'll probably just get a base C250 with automation prep and the systems table. And that's probably it. I I don't really know of any other options besides adding on tool towers and the automation. Mm -hmm. So It's a good machine. I mean... I think you'll be happy. I like, like we were texting and it's like, I can just imagine what that would do for your business. Like almost instantly, just like, Oh, Hey, we're, we can do five axis. Now it's like, here's all this work or <laughs> like, like the other flips, the flip side of that is like, Oh, this part that was going to be a couple ops and like a fixture is now like snap that fucker off. Nice. Right. <laughs> we're done. Oh man. I had two or three parts in the last two weeks that were all able to be zipped off with the key seat cutter that I had to use on the part anyway. They were all yeah. very tiny. And there was it was just such a good feeling to be like, oh that's that's done. Like I know yeah. everything's good. It's already done. And like it was on a three axis, but like I can't imagine on a five axis like, oh, this complicated part is just done. Like I'm yeah. ready to go. That's it's so cool. Did I send you did I send you the picture of the the medical titanium parts that I did? Mm. Uh, I'll send you that. It's a video of the tab it's like it's like this tall and like completely surfaced and we snapped it off it's pretty sketchy but it was pretty cool if it worked yeah yeah if it works it works uh yeah fucking dude you i was having a big discussion recently about like just like like quality of machines i guess or it's like it's so fascinating like you go into shops and like every one of their shops is like super fucking baller and everything and like, yeah, there's, a, I had some, some friends over and I made them dinner or whatever. And we were talking about like, oh, you know, like, like the interesting thing about Haas, uh, 
because I made that titanium part on a UMC 750 is that like it's cheap, you know, it's not like the best machine in the world, but the fascinating thing about the, about Haas's like high speed machining and everything is like salesmen will have you believe that like, Oh, this Doosan will rip that Haas apart. This blah, blah, blah will rip that Haas apart. Like pick any like basic fanic controlled machine. That's like a vertical. And it's like, oh, it's so much faster. And like, I almost guarantee if you didn't spend like $15,000 in options that like the Haas will be faster in tricotal machining. Like, and I've seen it personally, <laughs> like, and, and I was like, there's no fucking way, but there is fucking way. They, they just have it nailed down. And then you get into like, oh, you know, like the table's lighter, this, that, and the other, blah, blah, blah. But I mean, on one of them, it was like a horizontal, it was like, a really high end horizontal versus a VF4 SS and the VF4 SS was twice as fast. Like so base. that's only though, if you buy the high speed machining option from Haas, which still yeah. bugs the shit out of me, that that is an yeah. option. But you get it, you get it with, I mean, technically, I mean, it's like to get the, to get Fanix up to like real high speed, you need to buy some options too, you know? Yeah. 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 And I don't know about brother or anything, but like this, this dude was like, he was pretty bent out of shape, which makes sense because, like, obviously, a salesman's going to be like, "Dude, this machine's fast," and like, it it is fucking rip roaring fast. But like, when you put it, put them head head to head, and like, you it is a better machine. But it's like you said, it was going to be faster than my house. It's not faster than my house. Uh, and and like, you kind of get into these discussions where it's like, "Oh, can my like my machine can can push five times faster than yours?" And it's like. Uh huh. But your machine costs three times more than mine. I could have three spindles to your one, so you could push five times faster. But my three spindles are going to produce more parts, guarantee it. You know, and it's just so fascinating. Like depending on like how you're building your system, and you get like doing aerospace. I have to be on this. I have to be on that. Like the amount of shops I've seen, like that, and like me personally, and my guys, and a couple of my buddies. The shit that you can make on a Haas if you're like careful which is like the thing you got to be careful uh, like and probe and do whatever it's like pretty fucking fascinating oh yeah and very interesting and it's like and when you go into like super high-end shops um edit this out hadrian uh you go into these super high-end shops where it's like all the machines are like really fucking expensive but they're still like probing everything and doing all this junk that you would do on like a low-end machine it's like was it worth it to have this machine <laughs> like you could have you could have filled this place with like literally four times the pieces of equipment, even if you didn't go Haas, if you went with like something like a Methods MB650U, which you can get into for like two fifty, three hundred thousand dollars or something, which is still it's got high and high scales and a Fanic thirty one I or like the DVF five thousand or blah blah blah. Pick pick low end pick low end five axis machine and plug it in there. It's I don't know. It's kind of a tangent. It just depends it, on the kind of shop you're building, like you said. Like, I think yeah, I was just talking to somebody about this this week that, like, for me, for a prototype shop, like, yeah, I could have bought a Haas, but I think that it makes my job easier having more, I, I'd argue they're more accurate usually, but, like, the higher-end machines I've bought make my job easier, but really my customer yes. is never going to know the difference because, mm -hmm. like, it all comes down, for me, for a prototype shop, it comes down to quality, communication, and, like, just giving a shit about things like yeah. making my packaging nice, making things like that. Like my Haas parts still wouldn't have left my shop if they weren't up to my standards. 
you know? Yeah. Like my customer has no idea. So really it comes down to like quality of life for me. It's like, oh, it's a lot easier for me to make nicer parts on something I know is going to be pretty damn accurate all day. Yeah, for sure. So yeah, really comes down to, you know, if you're making stuff that's plus or minus 10 or plus or minus 20 all day, like, yeah, you probably are fine with a Haas. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, it's like the, the biggest, the biggest one that I have is like at the time with X2 development group, when we were talking about buying equipment to build the guns, the receivers, uppers and lowers, like we wanted, like from a, from a want perspective, uh, Matt Suris, you know, that was like, that's what we were like. We, it's like, gosh, this is good. They like, we wouldn't have to worry as much, blah, blah, blah. But then it comes down to it. And like, we got four UMC like, and it's a fuck. I mean, dude, receivers. I, don't, I mean, if you're a gun guy at all, you know, like, all the anything that's accurate on it is a hole and it's reamed and then it's positionally accurate to like a couple of thou it's like fine you know it doesn't matter that much so it's like when you do the when you start to get into it it's like we got four umc 500s with like basically every fucking option you could buy uh, and all of them automated with those rapid design solutions automation packages like so they all had 30 pallets one of them had 24 because of the height for 1.2 million dollars and it's like that is one and a half, ma'am, 7235 piece, right. you know, or like two or like two. And that's like completely tooled up too. That's not just like, that's like perfectly tooled. And it's like, it is, it is the, like the tool for the job, you know? Right. Like, oh yeah. 100%. And that's, yeah. Cause like, I mean, like, I mean, I bought a machine. I didn't buy a house, <laughs> you know, I bought a Matsura. I mean, it's used and it's starting to get fixed finally. Oh, it is. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. It's been, I've been pressing and like, they've, it's always good to me cause I'm good to them. <laughs> like we help each other out. So right. like we, we've worked on, we've worked something out, especially like one of these projects I'm working on is with Selway, at least like full build automation things. And it would be like, I would need that machine to build things for that project. So it's like, so let's fucking get this thing going. Right. Yeah. Scratch um, my back so I can scratch your back. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, no, but exactly. It's the right tool for the job. Like it, it's all about knowing your end goal and just pursuing that relentlessly. Yeah. Yeah. Big time. Oh, brother. I'm oh, brother. Well, <laughs> yeah, maybe we should tackle the, the last two questions then that I ask yeah. every guest every week. What's been popping up your browser, man? What have you been researching? Um, honestly, like nothing. <laughs> this week has mostly just been. Like I haven't really looked into anything this week, which is kind of weird, but like, like, I guess that's not true. In in terms of browser, mostly like all of my research has been kind of inward, you know, into my own company and just kind of like getting my ducks in a row and trying to like, cause at some point I'm going to take a break this year, probably August. I'm planning to like, that's my goal is to go to the UK. Oh, this is, here we go. This is one thing that it wasn't this week. It was probably last week, but like, I want to go to the UK for a month and not work or at least do very little work. I want to get my throat tattooed. And so I, the tattoo thing is taken care of. I got guys over there. But the thing that I was looking at was like, I want to go to like the middle of fucking nowhere and just like be in like a cottage, like, especially cause like I couldn't burden my cousin. And his wife, okay, I'm coming for a month. Put me up. <laughs> but no, I looked, I was looking into cottage rentals 
in the UK and I found some like pretty tight ones that are like less than a hundred bucks a night, like in some pretty cool little areas. Nice. So like it's, I mean, it's still a lot of money, obviously like that'd be like three grand, but, and you got to get out there and blah, blah, blah. But like the plan is to be like in a cash positive position to be able to do that. So August is the move, but that's, that's mostly what I've been researching. And so as a result of that is like, if I have that goal, then I research inward and it's like, what needs to take place to make that happen? Oh, and I guess, um, JTech, I've been talking to JTech a lot recently because one of the projects we're doing would be on a JTech machine. On If if you haven't heard of it, and, and there's a likelihood that you haven't, it's an AMS machine that JTech imports. And so if you're at IMTS, there was a line of like these little, like they're super fucking ugly machines, uh, but they're made in India and they're kind of built like brick shit houses. Like they have, they have like a little five axis machine that can do like a 600 millimeter diameter workpiece has a hide and hide control on it and stuff. And it's like around $300,000 and it's like, fuck. And they, dude, they, uh, they're like the biggest machine tool, uh, company in India. They make like 20,000 machines a year or something like that. Wow. They have their shit. They're dialed in. Um, and I was talking to one of the owners of Soway who just went there and he was like, that's one of the nicest factories I've ever been in. And I'm like, fuck, like pretty pumped about that. I want, I'm actually waiting on more information for one of the five axis machines. Cause like, not for me personally, just like for a project. Um, it's because people get really attached to the high and high control once they use it, because it's pretty fucking killer. Uh, I'm really pumped about that one. So that's what I've been researching. That's what killer. You? Yeah. Uh, let's see. I ended up buying the AMS, the automated material system. I think that's what it stands for, for my yeah. bamboo printer. Okay. Uh, I had like... Is that the thing up top that sits on top? Yeah. So I bought mine without it. And I've told people that I bought it without it because I was like, ah, I don't need, you know, multiple colors. Like I'm just making brackets and stuff. But I realized... Support material. Well, support material. And I hate changing out filaments because like I'll mm-hmm. print in PETG and then PLA. Yeah. And recently I had issues where I thought my bamboo was like having vibrational issues, but I was printing with aftermarket PLA and uh-huh. just swapping back to the bamboo stuff fixed all my issues. Or like, Shit. oh yeah, their, their stuff's just not as good. Like you can't run it at the same speed as our stuff. And I was like, oh yeah, I should have realized that. Yeah. Uh, so I was like, you know, I, I was ordering filament and I was like, you know, I should probably just get this. Like I, I print so much as it is having, you can set up redundant roles and just say like, well, when this runs out, use this one. And so I just, you know, picked it up. I was like, all right, screw it. And so that's supposed to be delivered end of this month since it's now April. Nice. And then otherwise like just business stuff, like we keep adding more and more templates to the system. We're using a ton of those Moldinos and Dixie thread whirlers now instead of taps. Like that has uh-huh. been such a night and day change for Brad and I. Like there's just like zero hesitancy. There's zero, like almost zero setup because we have those hydraulic holders and you just run them. Like I've got templates in Fusion for any of the threads now that I've used and drop it in, pick my holes, it's done. And like I know that, like the Moldinos make a good thread with either zero or like one tenth of negative wear yeah. almost in every material like h917 four sure 316 sure aluminum sure and it just like yeah. keeps going it's like this is so awesome that's fucking cool yeah they cool so we've been working on that a lot and yeah it seems like it's been working like we've been really kicking ass and like 
getting workout. It just feels great. Sick. It's the best feeling in the world. I did have a rough. This week was good, but I did. It was a little rough because I was making these 303 parts. And like normally 303 is relatively dimensionally stable. Yeah. And these parts were like pretty thin and kind of a lot of material removal. And they were warping on me like crazy. And like technically, according to the print, they were in tolerance despite them bananaing five six thou okay but i ended up just making like the executive decision of like no i'm just gonna buy the material and remake these and make them in three ops instead of two and i know they're gonna be dead flat and i was you know it was one of those things where i made the first two and then i was gonna go in the next day to make the next two and i was toiling over it all night just back and forth in my head of like well it's it's technically correct but I don't really like it. Like, <laughs> yeah. You know what? Just, I'm going to do the whole point of Proteum is to do the right thing. You know, do yeah. make amazing parts that people are happy to receive. And so that's what we ended up doing. Tight. It's awesome. Yeah. Uh, oh, it was actually kind of interesting though. So these parts were kind of U-shaped. And so okay. I, they were, they just barely fit in a two and a half inch blank, but I made them at a three inch blank because I realized so the the distance between the tines was tightly controlled. Like it was probably the tightest mm-hmm. tolerance on the part. And if I did them out of two and a half inch blanks after roughing that, or after roughing and semi-finishing in the first stop and then roughing and finishing in the second up, the tines would actually bow in towards each other. Huh. Whereas if I did it out of three inch stock and took off half an inch, just like stood the plates up and took off half an inch and then put that side away from the tines, like it was on yeah. the back jaw, huh. zero movement. Nice. Yeah, and I was yeah, like, "Oh, there's a lot. There's a lot to be said for mechanical stress relief." Yeah, yeah. It was also one of those things. I was like, "Man, I really wish I had a heat treat oven that I could just anneal these blanks and not oh, have to worry about it." You know? Sure. Yeah. So, at some point, when we get the next shop, we'll, we'll start looking into having little things like that. Right now, if I had it in my shop, I would probably burn the place down because it would light <laughs> something else on fire. Yeah. Have you made any movement? Got any movement on the oh, shop? Dude, no. <laughs> I did find one place, one place last night. I have no idea if it's going to work for us. They it has enough space. Rent is pretty good. I have no idea on the power. I have no idea if they're willing to work with us and let us put a mini split in the manufacturing space. So it's like cool, cool. And then I think <laughs> yeah. I told you we found one place that was like perfect. And then the landlord was like, "Oh no, I don't want noisy businesses." Yeah. And then I saw that it was still on the market like yesterday, still or like. It's still on the market right now, but like I reached out three or four days ago and was like, Hey, it's still there. Any chance you want to work with us? They sent me an application. They were like, well, just let us know what you want to do to remediate the noise and fill up this application. And it was like a very invasive application. And I'm like, I'm not feeling out shit until we like, you know, have somewhat of a deal in place. Like you don't need my social and all of this business information yeah on the chance that you might rent me a building like well we need to talk about this more long before you get an application out of me yeah for sure Uh, but that place if it worked out would be perfect like it's zoned right 2400 square feet one medium-sized office in one corner and the rest is warehouse all ac and like Mm. i think he said it was 300 amps a three phase yeah you could put a hermily in there yeah yeah so we'll see more research to do i literally am on loop net nightly just like anything pop up yeah can i I move yeah please please yeah i'm bummed because the two suites over from us was a double suite so it had 200 amps of three phase and was double the space yeah and when it started sounding like the people were going to leave there uh we could have stepped in and been like oh we want that 
but instead yeah. the mechanic next to us did and like now he has it and he cut a hole between his wall on that one and has a triple suite basically holy and shit it's so nice oh my goodness yeah. it is so nice and i'm so <laughs> jealous we go out there all the time and talk with him i'm just like oh this could have been us but we'll find some place for sure yeah, for sure all right well then the other question what have you been working on yourself this week you know business owner personal how have you yeah. been getting better uh i think the big one was like just kind of getting kind of giving myself space time to like really dive into my finances and everything because i have a bookkeeper but i was noticing like some discrepancies in terms of what my quickbook says i owe versus what i actually owe things and kind of just getting a better understanding of my current debt and everything and what it's going to take to pay it off and uh that was pretty big and also just generally i've been going i mean really i've been going hog ass wild working uh for i don't know since the middle of january i've traveled been like on a flight at least to one different city every weekend like i said i was working i worked in california all week i flew friday i flew to utah this morning i woke up at five drove two and a half hours i'm 12 hours into my work day um right now and so i'm gonna make sure my machines are running after this get the Mazak up and running, maybe change some tools and then take off, drive two and a half hours back home, sleep for a little bit, shower, and then do it again tomorrow. Um, and so biggest, mostly what I'm getting at there is, is it worth it? <laughs> and the answer, the unfortunate answer is yes. The job is making enough money that like kind of killing myself. It's every little bit helps dig us out of the hole that much faster and like I was telling you, I was just looking at talking about revenue numbers. We are more than 50 per, we're actually 100% over where we were at last year right now. And mostly that's because the job that I was working on, um, I did a lot of travel last year also, but a lot of it amounted to zero dollars. And so just being very intentional with the the traveling to make sure that if I'm traveling, I'm getting something out of it. And so, and like the other thing is, with employees, I've I've made some bad decisions. Uh, I I probably burned one guy out, and he's probably he might come back. But if he comes back, he might he might want to come back in a different capacity. So how can I, moving forward, go get the right amount of work? It's being more proactive instead of reactive with work and people, because both every hire that I had that I made last year was reactive two jobs that I already had. And now I have three big automation systems that I'm quoting that we could get all at once that I have a buddy of mine who's contracting for me because he has a full-time job who does the robot stuff and mechanical design. He would be helpful, but I straight up could not do that with the two guys that with this me and my other guy. And so just being more proactive and trying to lay groundwork with... <laughs> I'm still going with friends for now just because it's the devil you know. You know what I mean? Yeah, totally. And so I'm going with, I'm going, I'm just laying some groundwork to be like, hey, like this is where we were at, especially this is where we're going to be. I know what you need. I know what I need. And and like having these conversations, that's like, especially him, because I hired a guy for, he, this guy, he's also my customer right now. Uh, and it's like, hey, what do you think? And he's like, isn't that what you're trying to do last year? And the answer was, <laughs> yes, that is exactly what I was trying to do last year. But see, the thing is, is that I have a year of knowledge now 
And I know, I mean, I may not know the exact path forward, but I know exactly what not to do. And I'm, and I'm absolutely avoiding that at all costs. And that's why we're having this conversation. I don't have the work yet, but I could see it coming. And like, I, there was a conversation that I had this week that I texted you about that I don't want to say on mic just because I don't want to jinx it. But if that were to come to fruition, I'm talking, I pretty much have to like scale a manufacturing facility and probably get like a handful of guys. Right. Yeah. And so it's just, I'm trying to be, I get like all of that. The long story short of that whole thing is just is uh, strategic growth instead of growth for growth's sake is really the biggest thing. And like after reading the book also, how can like, as I grow and be more strategic with my growth, how can I be a better leader to the guy that I have currently and the guys coming on in the future and using like this time where it's basically just me and one other guy, but the other guy in Arizona, I could not talk to him at all. Literally I have, there's been times where I haven't talked to him in weeks because he just gets the job done. I invoice the customer and they pay. Like it just happens. I don't have to, but I've just been like trying to like, you know, become more in tune with him and build our systems up a little bit while we have kind of a, I don't want to say a down period because I'm slammed fucking busy, but just trying to be build everything for if new guys come on, what does onboarding look like and things like that. Awesome. That's yeah. that. That's great. Yeah. I know I can definitely <laughs> empathize with the whole, down period but not down period like we've had yeah. a week or two here and there where it's like there's a lot of work coming due but like i have a little bit of a lull like you know waiting for material or something and it's like all right this is like the time to use for you know i, I machine the first op on our fourth axis 90 degree trunnion maybe a mm-hmm. week or so ago i've got you know a few more ops and like it sounds like this next weekend i'm gonna get a chance to make our new lang vacuum table because we sold the other one Ooh, with our okay. orange subplate and so nice yeah little things like that are really nice sick definitely well chris thank you so much yeah are we gonna do the pumpkin pumpkin plan pumpkin plan i kept wanting to say yeah. pumpkin patch <laughs> same that's a good one I, it's interesting we mentioned it on the last podcast and like when it dropped easton texted me like almost immediately and he was like, here I am listening to you, like you talk about this as I email a customer about this very situation. That's like, yeah, let's roll. And it's by Mike, Mike Kalowitz. Yeah. The pumpkin plan, a simple strategy to grow a remarkable business in any field. Yeah. Okay. I'll, I'll get it. I'll pick it up and start reading it. And I'm not going to promise a date this time because I royally screwed that up last time. So we will get to it when we get to it, but get the book, read it up. Submit any questions you have on it. Dropping in two weeks, guaranteed. (laughs) (laughs) I am pretty sure I said exactly that last time. Yeah. Yeah, so so not doing that this time, but get the book. I will post on the Instagram stories as usual on when we're going to go over it. We'll be hopefully sometime soon. I'm trying to do better about consistency with the podcast. I know it's been a little all over the place this year so far, so I apologize to all the listeners. I'm doing my best. It's been a little bit of a, a rough year. Yeah, hot take running a business is hard and all and and being like full-time podcaster on top of that is also hard i imagine <laughs> so you can forgive yeah. yourself that's i think that's i need your, to add more things to my schedule so that i find that, more time that's what i'm saying right like go teach at puma or pima you know so you can scout 
a talent and stuff and maybe you know what is it like fix up the mr2 you just should dive back into that there um, you go <laughs> yeah actually the mechanic next to us now that he has all that new space he was like oh you should move your mr2 out of the parking lot it's so small i'll just give you a corner of the new shop to work <laughs> on it i was like you're like cool okay yeah Please. yeah yeah because he's, he's always like been totally fine with me using any of his stuff and like now he's like oh i got all this room now like yeah just know exactly what corner we'll put it in we'll put it right there and you can work on it whenever you want i was like all right cool that's awesome that's so cool he's a great guy he is like he's he started this as his retirement plan and now like does almost as much money as we do every year by himself just being a mechanic because he's so good it's crazy there's so many stories like that uh it's just like so funny it's like just want to be pretty casual with this and it's like really and it's like yeah i just casually started a business and it's like it's just so successful darn Uh, like when i when i hung out with simon we he took us to uh a distillery in the cotswolds called cotswold i think it's literally called cotswolds distillery they make whiskey and gin and Mm -hmm. i guess like uh he can correct me if i'm wrong but like essentially like this guy owned a house overlooking this empty patch like or a farm or whatever and it was like a barn and he's like, I kind of want to start a business. And he's just like retired. And he's like, I guess we could make some whiskey or whatever. And so he buys the property, starts starts making whiskey. And then he's like, well, fuck, it's got to be in barrels for like five or seven years. What are we going to do? What are we going to do in the meantime? So I guess we'll make gin and then make gin <laughs> and <laughs> make gin and it wins awards and it's really fucking good. And then, and then they they like build this reputation and the whiskey comes out and the whiskey's really fucking good and the whiskey wins awards and it's just like and now he's got like four or five buildings on this property and like oh a restaurant goodness. and stuff and it's like yeah cool that's amazing <laughs> just casually crushing life like it's like <laughs> meanwhile like we're over here like fucking struggling every week <laughs> i know right yeah thankfully this week has not been one of those weeks where i'm like did i make yeah. a mistake is this is, yeah. is this the wrong trade for me no this this was a really good week and it was definitely reaffirming of like yeah i'm, yeah. I'm doing the right thing yeah i will say like every time i get close and i'm like maybe i just fucking i get like really down in the dumps and i'm like i'm wrapping it up right now fuck it this guy offered me a job i'm taking it and it's like and then you actually like think about it for a second and it's like i'm not answering to that fucking asshole <laughs> like no thanks I'm going to build his dream. I would rather go down in flames first than, than fucking do that. Like I will, I will bomb out before I go get another (laughs) job, like guaranteed. Yeah, for sure. Well, thank you again, everyone go get the pumpkin plan. Thank you to all the Patreon members who make this show possible. Thank you for listening. And I will be back next week.